know, money's one thing, but soul is another. The J Files on Double J. He was the artist formerly known as, he was the love symbol, he was Prince, and he was simply one of a kind. Prince Rogers Nelson was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota. His parents were jazz artists, so he was surrounded by music and musical people right from the very beginning. He taught himself to play piano at the age of seven, guitar at 13, and drums at 14. Now, I have two thoughts about this. Firstly, wow. Secondly, this kind of demonstrates his unrelenting passion for music. Prince released 39 albums, 97 singles, over 37 years. And that's not even the half of it. The vault in his Paisley Park complex is rumoured to have contained hundreds, if not thousands, of unreleased songs. There really isn't, and there probably won't ever be, an artist as prolific as Prince. Hey, Gab Burke here, J-Files producer at Double J, and this is the J-Files podcast. Every week, we dive into the Double J archives to find the amazing stories behind your favourite music. Today, it's the purple one. You're going to meet an Aussie record producer who saw his creative process first hand. You know, we would just keep the tape rolling. Some of the artists he's inspired. Pat and I covered it for a Like A Version many moons ago. And while Prince gave very few interviews in his time, I've dug up a chat he had on a Detroit radio station in 1986. It's incredible. I just want to tell all my little motor babies that I'm just happy to be here and it's a fun way to spend my birthday. That's all still to come. But first, on the Double J Facebook page, we asked you to share what Prince means to you. And here's what you said. Hi, I'm Alison from Windsor in Sydney. When I was 15, I had to spend two weeks in hospital and the nurses brought Purple Rain in for us to watch. And we watched it over and over and over. It was brilliant. Hi, my name is Ryan from Sydney and I am a huge Prince fan. I was fortunate enough to see him play live seven times and each and every show is completely different in terms of the set list, the way he played songs. He was always someone that was extraordinarily spontaneous on stage. Those last piano shows that he played uh, here in Sydney and they were nothing short of incredible. It's David from Brisbane. My love of Prince music probably started in the mid-80s being handed a mixtape of, of Prince songs and uh, my love of his music kind of grew from there. Um, musically, the guy was a genius. For every genre of music, there's a Prince song and for every human emotion, there's a Prince song. I'm Justine. And I'm Melissa. And we're from Craigie Band. We became friends when we realised we both loved Prince and the rest is history. We celebrated with the masses at his concert we danced and sang along to his music at home. Neither of us realised how emotionally attached we were to him and his music until he died. He will forever stand alone with his voice and charisma and no one will ever come close. This is 
is Dave from Brunswick. Musically, you could play just about anything and was never confined to one genre. I came on board during the Diamonds and Pearls era where he jumped from funk to pop to jazz, rock, soul, hip hop. He could do it all. He could be sexual, he could be spiritual, just plain silly. Following his career was often like going on a wild ride where he didn't always understand where he was going, but you were never going to forget the journey. This is Mark from Melbourne. The Around the World in the Day album was just amazing and from then on I think he just captured the mood of the time. He was even a pioneer with uh, you know, streaming music on his own website. So I've always been a massive Prince fan and, and yeah, miss him greatly. Hello, this is Anita from Adelaide. I've been a huge Prince fan since the 80s after I saw Purple Rain in the cinema. I would have been seven or eight years old and far too young to completely understand what was actually going on in the film, but I remember leaving the cinema in total awe of the music. It was that day that I fell in love with Prince, and it's a love that has lasted. Prince was my idol. Hitting puberty during the 80s in a redneck country town was, was pretty lonely. Prince doing Little Red Corvette led me to track down his 1999 album. As I was getting into controversy, he dropped When Doves Cry. And no one on the planet had heard anything like that. He taught me when you experiment, you have to be prepared to fail because that will justify the risks of creating something amazing. Prince was just one of a kind. He was just, oh, I don't even know where to start with him. I've loved him since I was 13 years old. I just thought he was the most sexiest man and most sensual man alive. You know, he could play a mean guitar and he could just get so lost in that voice of his. You know, last year when I heard that he'd passed away and, you know, prior to that, that he was sick, it was just so sad and, and such a loss that was felt by so many. Oh, yeah. We'll hear from some of the artists who've been inspired by Prince very soon. But not only did he produce a mountain of work in his lifetime, Prince also wrote some incredible songs for other people. The Bangles, Cindy Lauper, Sinead O'Connor, Madonna, Celine Dion and Kenny Rogers. Here's just some of the huge hits he wrote for other artists.
soon you'll meet the Aussie record producer who worked with Prince, but what do other artists think of his work? Hello there, this is Amanda Palmer. The first tape I ever purchased was Purple Rain. I played that into the ground, and then the record that came out right after it was Around the World in a Day, which didn't really have many hits on it. It had Raspberry Beret, which I think has sort of stood the test of time. But there were some beautiful songs on that record, including the Paisley Park. Hey, it's Davros Samuel Cuss here, former singer in Blue Juice and author of Elliot Foxley. There was a debate that raged in the 80s, years and years ago, as to whether or not Michael Jackson or Prince was the true king of pop. Ultimately, Michael came out on top, but Prince is the musician's musician. He's totally respected. He was a sexual icon and a pop icon, and really, he is music royalty. Even though he wasn't the king in the end, I guess he was the prince. Phil Jamison. I came across Prince via Cindy Lauper and the Bangles. Cindy Lauper had included a Prince song on her debut album, She's So Unusual, a song called You Could Be Mine that was on Prince's debut record. And then he'd also written Manic Monday for the Bangles. I was a big Cindy Lauper, big Bangles fan. And then my first real introduction to Prince as an artist, like a solo, yes, like pop artist, was in Alphabet Street. Of the Love Sexy album. And then after that was Batman, and then I went back, 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 and then I found You Could Be Mine. He'd actually written for his debut album. That's one of my favourite songs of all time. Pat and I covered it for a like a version many moons ago. I was lucky enough to see Prince live at the City Entertainment Centre. I forget what year. 2002? 03, maybe? Probably one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. He didn't break a sweat. It was otherworldly. Um... What an artist. And do you remember these guys? That's Australian R&B band CDB. You might remember their 1995 cover of Earth, Wind & Fire's Let's Groove. Yeah, well, they're also huge Prince fans. Hey, we're CDB. One of the main reasons why we love Prince is because he wrote some amazing songs. He did exactly what he wanted to do, and the man looked good in heels. (laughs) 
This is a song that we love to sing. It's called The Most Beautiful Girl in the World. Could you be the most beautiful girl in the world? Could you be plain to see? You're the reason that God made a girl. Oh, yes, you are. One of the key things to note about Prince is that he really struggled with the record label business, with media, with management. He was an artist and he wanted to control his art and he wanted to share it with his fans in his way. Here's a little bit of that chat I found when he called into a Detroit radio station in 1986 and I think it kind of gives you an insight into his need for control of his work. Hello, Prince. Hello, Detroit. How are you? I just want to tell all my little motor babies that I'm just happy to be here and it's a fun way to spend my birthday, for sure. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Prince, uh, you've uh, you've been the entertainer uh, that uh, has insisted on doing things one way, your way. <laughs> well, you know, like I worked a long time under a lot of different people. Um, and uh, most of the time I was doing it their way. And uh, I mean, that was cool, but you know, I figured if I worked hard enough and uh, kept my head straight, one day I'd get to do it on my own. And that's what happened. So I feel like I don't try to hurt nobody. And I, like I say, keep my head on straight. My way usually is the best way. So Prince is talking there with a radio DJ called The Electrifying Mojo. After a birthday gig at the Kobo Arena in Detroit, Prince called into Mojo's radio station for a chat, and you're going to hear more of that very soon. But what's it like working with Prince? My name's Angelique Cooper. I'm a record producer. Back in 1991, I was a synth programmer and a recording programmer, engineer. I was lucky enough to work with Prince. Uh, they booked the studios that I was working at, Studios 301. And myself and a recording engineer, Mark Forrester, we spent maybe a week or so working with Prince in the studio. And then after that, we wanted to continue on the things that we're working on and we were then taken on to Paisley Park, where we spent a couple of weeks with Prince as well. Prince was a workaholic, just used to work through the night, every night, and then, you know, into the day, and I don't know when he would sleep, but then he'd end up on stage and then he'd come straight back into the studio. He always wanted tape rolling, he was always exploring musical ideas, things would come to his head all the time, and he would always just want a studio at hand so he could keep things going and explore and work with his bands. That's why he's got so much material everywhere he goes. He always books a studio and he's always recording. He'd probably have something in his head and he'd go over and he'd sit at the drums and he'd show the drummer what the feel was because he's a really good drummer. He might play a few lines in the bass because he was an amazing musician and he was really good at so many instruments. I can't tell you, it was incredible, but he was a very good bass player. So then he'd sort of set up a few riffs and the bass player would take over and then he'd go and sit at the piano and, and he'd basically lead the band through a whole lot of chord changes and he'd just explore different chord changes and different rhythms and different feels. He was always just fleshing out ideas. Yeah. You know, we would just keep the tape rolling. 
There was one night where I was um, fiddling around with a synth sound, fat, techno-y, gnarly bass sound, and, and I was just messing around with some sounds and messing around with a bit of a, of a, a riff, and he just went, he went, hold it you know, play that again. So I played it again and he sat down with me and then he said, try this and try that. And so we, we ended up coming up with this sort of, this repetitive sort of techno-y loop, which um, over the next couple of days, we sort of worked up a song. When we got to uh, Paisley Park, we continued working on the song. It ended up being a song that he used for Diamond and Pearl and with him, so it was like a three-part sort of techno-y piece, which never got released. <laughs> Over the time that I had spent with him in London as well, there was a number of tracks that he got right up to release level but they were never released so that's just my short time with him but there must be oodles and oodles of tracks like that. It's a real testament to his judgement as an artist. There was so much that he could have released which was all good but he only released the real gems. him once where he was probably annoyed and he just kind of looked at you, gave you a bit of a longer look than normal and then just turned away. But I didn't see him, you know, that was probably the worst that it got. But you, you sort of had a feel, I mean, you, you really wanted to please him. And, you know, he would smile at you and he'd, get, he'd give you a really nice smile and it was great. Angelique Cooper also described how epic the Paisley Park complex is. Recording studios, a soundstage, a TV studio, in-house seamstresses and a rehearsal space. And that's not all. You can read all about it in Dan Condon's Prince Tribute at doublej.net.au. But that chat Prince had with radio DJ, the electrifying mojo, on Detroit Radio in 1986 was recorded at the time by an Australian fan. That fan sent the tape of the recording into Triple J in 1996 when Richard Kingsmill presented the original Prince J-File. The J-Files. Hey everyone. Well, Prince Rogers Nelson, his royal badness, the purple one, the kid, Victor Camille, Minneapolis genius, symbol dude, Mr Squiggle, our favourite, Davo, Taff Cap, or the artist formerly known as Prince, or if you're an old-fashioned stick in the mud, plain old Prince. Call him what you like. So thank you to that super fan who would have done what we all did in the 80s and 90s. He put a blank tape in a cassette player, he switched on FM radio... and waited with hands hovering until exactly the right moment to press the play and record buttons at exactly the same time. Kids these days will never know the struggle. What's a day like in the life of Prince? Work. I work a lot. Um, uh, I'm trying to get a lot of things done very quickly so that I can stop working for a while. Everyone's afraid I'm going to die. <laughs> you say you are afraid. No, I'm not afraid. Oh. Everyone else is afraid. They think I work too much. I'm not afraid of anything. It's been said that um, that you work uh, when you're working, you work when you're on the road, you carry uh, your studio around with you, 
you get up in the middle of the night, you get an idea for a tune, and you get up and go do it. There's just uh, no such thing as Prince being off from work. Well, I don't know. It's, the, the thing is, is that when you're called, you're called, you know, and I hear things in my sleep. I walk around, I go in the bathroom and try to brush my teeth, and all of a sudden a toothbrush starts vibrating. That's a groove, you know, and you know. you got to go with that, and that means drop the toothbrush and get down to the studio or get to a bass guitar quick, you know, and I don't know, my best things have come out like that. To me, uh, making a song is like a new girl walking in the room, you know, it's, you never know what's going to happen until all the things come together, and there she stands, and she says, hi, you know, you want to take a bite of this orange? You bite it and it's cool and then I send it to you, you know? I know. Look here, w one one question. Yes? W what's your favorite instrument? Mmm, Stewart. You play them all. <laughs> it's dirty. <laughs> it's, it's dirty. <laughs> no, listen. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, de it depends on the song. It depends on the color. They all sound differently. Um, it's very strange. I try to um, stay original in my work and... Um, a lot of sounds have been used now, and I'm looking for new instruments and new sounds and new rhythms. And, uh, I got a lot of surprises. I don't want to give them all away. Look, you've done everything. I mean, you've done not yet. You've, you've done you've done you've done hard rock. Uh, you've done some of the most sensuous ballads. No, it's, we just scratched the surface with all that stuff. I mean, there's so many sounds; it's limitless. Some people say you, you probably have, you know, in your secret vault, in the Prince Music Vault, about 500 tunes that you've done uh, that you haven't even considered using yet, that you could put out an album for the next 20 years, two albums a year. No, about, not that many. 320, to be exact. Oh, really? I've been that 500. 320 songs? Yeah. That, that have never been released? Mm-hmm. And it's been rumored that they all sound different. That's why probably uh, each album that you release is just a little bit different. Yeah. They don't all sound different. There's a couple times I copied myself. It's all right. It's all right to, it's all right to, uh, to copy yourself. You think you hit on something right, you try to do it again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, no, I try, I try not to do that too much. If I do that there's usually someone around when dear lisa someone to say hey man i've heard that put it away and it goes away and we don't hear from uh, that's all for a while let's talk about the album uh, around the world in a day which i think was one of the the greatest albums. my favorite I, it's it's absolutely my favorite without question uh tunes like around the world in a day paisley park um what 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 type of mood were you in when you recorded that album? Um, I sort of had a F.U. attitude, meaning that I, I was making something for myself and my fans. And the people who supported me through the years, I wanted to give them something. And it was my, like my little letter. And um, those people are the ones that wrote me back and told me that they felt what I was feeling, you know, and, you know, it, 
record sales and things like that, it, it really doesn't matter, you know. I mean, it keeps the roof over your head and it keeps uh, money in all these folks' pockets that I got hanging around here, you know. But it, it basically stems from the music, and I'm, I'm just hoping that people understand that, that, you know, money's one thing, but soul is another. All right, that's it from me. What's in the J-Files next week? And I wish I, wish I knew the right words. I'm Gab Burke. See you next time. The J-Files.